Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who like to use a lot of words, yet say nothing at all. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it's show number 461 for February 15th, 2020. On today's show, we're talking about building your first table, tools that you should never buy used, and how to get those pesky feed rollers working properly. But before we get to all that, I want to tell you that today's show is sponsored by Rockler. Rockler has been helping customers create with confidence for 65 years. In fact, they're currently celebrating their 65th anniversary, so be sure to head on over to rockler.com and check out their Founders Day sale. I went there today. They got quite a few things on sale, so you definitely want to head over there and check that out. And if you want to help support the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash woodtalk and signing up to become a patron of the show. Yay! I I love patrons. They are the best stuff. All right, we well, are actually going to jump right into it, right? So let's let's do it. Yeah, I was actually going to go ahead and do that. but I just thought I might interrupt you, and uh, I like the sound of my own voice. So there's that. See, see the funny thing is, is offline, we have these topics about we need to pay attention to whose part is where to keep the timing rolling, and then Mark just jumps right in. I screwed up, okay? Yeah. talks over everybody. Okay. Mark just says, as soon as I finish reading this, start your thing, and then he ad-libs some more stuff on the end of his thing. Right. And then Matt doesn't know when to start talking. God, look, like two shows into the restart and this bossy Mark thing is getting on my nerves. I quit. Yeah, you guys are making me feel bad about myself. Good. Good. All right. <laughs> okay. So for our main topic in this show, we're actually talking about building your first table. <laughs> Plowing ahead. Um, we got an email or something, some sort of message from Greg. Um, he says, I'm a novice woodworker. I think I messed up. I told my wife that I wanted to make something real. Instead of just farting around in my shop, making tree ornaments and small projects, she says, okay, make me a dining room table. Now what do I do? (laughs) I don't have any size or style ideas as of yet. Is this a bit much for someone with little experience and really old tools I got from my grandfather? I have a table saw, jointer, lathe, bandsaw, drill press, along with a few other tools. So here we go, Greg. First dining table. Take it away. (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, so we're going to try to break this down into like a series of things that he might be able to do. First, I want to say, if your significant other is on board and says, all right, go make this thing, sometimes, depending on your situation, that might open up an opportunity for a tool. Uh, depend, <laughs> right? Like you may get to a point and say, well, yeah. well, I'd love to build that, honey, but I need a domino. Well, maybe not a domino, but you may be able to use that as leverage. So if you if you are missing yeah, a all tool, you need is a router. Did you know you could cut dominoes with a router? Yeah, did you didn't know true. that? Yeah. Uh, Check out Word Talk 460 for, for that. If you really want <laughs> Okay, you just brought up or a good any point, episode though. of Woodwork. Of he did Mark. say he did list his tools, and I don't see a router on that list. So we do have to keep that in mind with what he's going to build here. Finally, an inexpensive tool. <laughs> I mean, relatively. Yeah. Seriously, yeah. you can go buy a Porter cable, what, 690 for like 60 bucks now? I have yeah. no idea. Go to Home Depot, get yourself a rigid. You can get something pretty decent for very little money. All right. So uh, a table, I honestly think is a pretty good first project. You know, just you got a panel for the top, you got some aprons, you got some legs and you got some joints to hold them together. So I, I think he's probably positioned very well to, to start this as his first, you know, quote unquote, real project. Um, I don't know about you guys. For me, a lot of times projects at this stage are going to start with like a Google search. And since she's involved clearly in this process, you may want to have her do a Google search. <laughs> I highly recommend doing that. Yeah. And yes. let her send you some pictures of ideas. Let Like you don't have to reinvent the wheel here. Have her show you something that she likes. And that's kind of where I think your starting point should Otherwise be. you get to the end and she's like, I don't really like this at all. I don't like it. What yeah. she's going to say. That's never a good feeling. Mm-mm. Take it no, from this me. This is basically why Pinterest exists. Right. For the ladies to tell their husbands, build me this. I've made many a thing and Lindsay's been like, what am I supposed to do with this? I apologize. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's a valid point though. Uh, You got to have that clarity, you know, and you have to have a goal as well. Since you haven't, you (laughs) haven't designed what I wanted at all. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, You haven't designed this thing yet. So it's a good idea to not reinvent the wheel and just uh, have a goal to shoot for so once you once you find something, you've got an idea of what she wants. Maybe it's a little more complicated. You can always simplify it, you know, take some of the details away, simplify this thing to get it close. And then you need to reverse engineer this thing, right? You've got to figure out how to make it. What kind of joints? How are the legs and the aprons going to meet together? I mean, a table, again, really only three parts, your top, your aprons, and your legs. So you got to start to dissect that joinery. Now Unless looking at it's a tools, trestle table. Unless it's a trestle yeah, table. Just oh, now you're complicating things. I didn't, the I, well, I, but that's incredibly popular. And I can't tell you how many times I've asked my wife or my mother-in-law <laughs> and they come back with a trestle table. So, Well, then there's fewer that's parts. Even simpler. There's only two legs and maybe like one piece yeah. that joins them, right? One stretcher and two yeah. legs. Piece of cake. Done. Yeah, yeah, fewer yeah, parts. Good point. That's a good point. All right, looking at his tool set, what do you think in terms of joinery? Uh, let's assume he's going with you know, four legs and aprons. I can do dowels. I would ask you, well, I'm, I don't know. You don't know how to do dowels? Dowels on a dining room, on a dining table? Sure. I don't know. Are they strong enough? Yes. Pocket holes then, all right? Big dowels, Shannon, big dowels. All right, I'm a purist. Fine, lag bolts. Dude, you go with some big old, uh, big old half inch dowels, you know, or three eighths. If you got three quarter inch aprons, you could, you can get some pretty decent joinery with that. I think that'd be fine. Yeah, but he's got a table saw. Cut, well, all right. He doesn't have a router. Since he's got yeah. a table saw, he can cut tenons. You got to make the holes. <laughs> make them holes. Make the holes. got a drill so press. The, yeah, drill, yeah. They got chisels. Yeah, I got guess. Bead lock, do, yeah. I mean, Basically, it depends on how much effort you want to put into it, right? There's a uh, lot of ways yeah. to join wood at right angles. 
You're right. He does have a lathe. He could turn dowels. <laughs> that would definitely be a good use of his time. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I don't think we're very much help here. Um, yeah, I think if it, you, you've got dowels, you've got your beadlock, you've got a traditional classic joint if you want to just do some chiseling after drilling. Um, you got plenty of choices, I think, to to join these parts, so that shouldn't be a deal breaker. Uh, and I just think to, to reference Mark's first part about a project like this could possibly lead to a tool. Yeah, traditionally a table would be mortise and tenon, right? And right. I've said this before; it's kind of the king of woodworking joints when it comes to furniture. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna build furniture, you're probably gonna want to learn to cut mortise and tenon joinery. So this would be a great opportunity. It's eight mortises, eight tenons assuming it's four legs, right? So, yes. um, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity to learn to do it. You may struggle with the first couple of mortise and tenons, but by the time you get to seven and eight, you're going to have a pretty good feel for it. And you will have learned and grown as a woodworker because yeah. it's really what we want, right? We're just here to learn, right, Matt? To oh, learn. that's what I'm here for. Just to <laughs> learn. <laughs> to learn. Okay, uh, so the top is a big panel. He doesn't have a, a, a jointer, planer. He doesn't even mention he that he jointer. has like a... He's oh, a wait, joiner. he did say jointer, yeah, you can do this tabletop, yes. no problem. Oh, okay, okay, tabletop. He should be able to bang that out. Um, doesn't say what he has in a way of planes or anything. Well, um, well, what about flattening though? I mean, he's got he's got a jointer. He's going to get one <laughs> flat face, one edge. Well, um, I mean, you can buy S two S or you know S four S lumber. Some pre milled. Um, as stuff. long as you can joint that that joint edge, the long yeah. edge, you can yeah. end up with a pretty pretty flat tabletop. And let's be real. How flat does it need to be? Like not NASA flat. Um, it just needs to be flat so that, you know, the gravy boat doesn't slide off. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Into the abyss. And, and <laughs> the gravy abyss. Get a cheap belt sander, I suppose, and flatten it out after it's joined together. Yeah. It's not even noticeable. Yeah. Dips and valleys all over a top. And realistically, unless they are massive, you know, enough, like, like you said, the gravy boat's going to fall or a, a wine glass yeah. is going to tip over. Most people are considering notice. how popular like farmhouse style and rustic style is yeah, really. cake, like you know? half inch gaps between the boards. It's like a picnic yeah, table. You're going to want like scallop marks. That's, that's called the crumb catcher. Yeah. yeah. The crumb catcher groove. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now I like this question. What do you guys think if you had to pick is, is he better off just jumping in and winging it? Or do you think this is a thing where he should probably sit down write this down step-by-step step exactly what he's going to do uh, to get this entire thing made. I wouldn't go like somewhere in between. I don't think a table needs like, assuming we're still talking about the four apron, four leg style. Yeah, let's go with that. I think you just figure out like what size tannin you're going to have. Therefore, what size mortise you're going to have. If maybe you're going to do a haunch or not. And then that's really all you need to know. Maybe if you want to do some design stuff, like am I going to put a taper on these legs? Um, am I, here's a lathe. Am I going to turn the legs? It's an True, option. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. you know, we've had these questions like, in the past where it's kind of hard. We're like, I don't know what this person really wants to do. Yeah. Well, I'd like to look at it from the perspective of what scares you the most about this table. Like you have your design and you know, maybe you've drawn it on a napkin. Maybe you've gotten fancy in SketchUp and you've drawn out a model and you look at that and go, oh crap, now I'm going to have to make eight mortise and tenons or how am I going to taper those legs? You know, what's the part that scares you the most? And then I say, sit down and plan out that part. Um, you know, the, the, I've always, I've always told my students, if you, if you are confused about a particular technique, just break it down you know, cutting a mortise and tenon. Well, when you say I have to cut eight mortise and tenons, that sounds scary. Okay. Well now you have to cut eight, you have to make what 
eight tenons. So now you have to make 16 half laps. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you can start to break down the process. I need to make, you know, this cross cut on the table saw in order to get the shoulder. Because what's really important is the shoulder, right? That's the reference surface. So I've got a table saw. I figured out a way to cut exact shoulders to the exact length. You know, and it makes it easier. The more you kind of break the task down into simpler, smaller steps, um, and he may look at this and go, I'm not at all, I'm not worried at all about gluing up the panel for the top. Mm-hmm. That may scare someone else. So you can just kind of wing the parts that you're not concerned about, but really break down the parts that, that do freak you out a little. Yeah. That was really good advice, Shannon. Well, Solid advice. Like Solid that. advice. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thousands of about- Hantool School students would agree with you. <laughs> Hantoolschool.net, by the way. <laughs> It doesn't count if they come back more than once. You can't count them. <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> no, they bought a site. They brought a site another semester, so that's that's two. Oh, it's great. It's great. They come back and they ask, you know, I get those posts in the community. Can someone besides Shannon chime in on this now? Yeah. Uh, all right. So how about the finish? That is an intimidating thing. Um, sometimes it can make or break a project. Uh, you know, let's assume he doesn't have a whole lot of experience with finishing. Um, let's give him a recommendation. What do you think for a finish? Got to be durable. We're talking about a dining table here. So, I'm going to go, I'm going to go armor seal or, or Minwax yeah. wipe on poly. I like wipe on. Yeah. I mean, I think wipe on is probably the path of least resistance. It's hard yeah. to screw that up. I sure. say that and knowing that I've screwed up wipe on finishes. Before. <laughs> it's certainly po- I didn't say it's not possible to screw it up. I've proven that you would Shannon, you would. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think the key is just be patient, like thin it out as much as possible. And if you have to apply 12 coats, apply 12 coats, you know, right. if, if and you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to, if you're using armor seal right out of the can, what do you figure for a dining table Four, six coats, maybe? It, it depends on the look you're going for though, because yeah. there's also some validity to doing the kind of like flood it on and wipe off the excess. You do like two coats of that. And you've got to, yeah. like, if you're afraid of, um, you know, sh- uh, I was going to say brush marks, but obviously you're using a, a, a wiping pad. Um, but if you're afraid of those marks, lap marks, or sometimes if you're using satin, you tend to get like bright gloss areas and more satiny areas, almost in like a stripy kind of pattern. If those are concerns, you could just go with that wipe on, wipe off finish. And that's a very close to the wood look that has some protection. Now it's not a big yeah. thick film, but a lot of people don't want that big thick film. See, for me, I would actually recommend Endurovar. Same manufacturer, but water-based. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I love the way Endurovar flows. I find that it actually flows a little better off of a brush than Armor Seal does, mm-hmm. probably because it's water-based. Um, and it dries <laughs> so fast. So if, if I am like worried about it, I can thin it out. It's super easy because it's water. <laughs> you thin it with water. You can clean the brushes up real easy. I've even applied Armor Seal using one of those cheapo sponge brushes. Um, Don't reuse them though, folks. (laughs) They start to come apart. It's like rehydrating toast. It's bad news. Yeah, no one does that. I don't know. I've just, I've found that that maybe it's the cleanup, maybe the fact that it's water-based and it's easier to thin. I can thin it out and really flood it on and it pretty much self-levels. And it's just, it's super easy. It doesn't change the color all that much. I guess yeah. it depends on the species you're using, but I like Endurovar. And the good thing is regardless of what finish you pick, you have one practice run. That's the underside of your top. That's true. Right? Oh, good point. Get to, point. Know your, yeah. get to know your finish there first. And if you screw up, you could sand it back. You could do it again, whatever it is, work it out on that underside. And then it's showtime on the top. Um, 
but that's that's how you get to know your finish. You get to know the wood and uh, you'll get better results that way. Uh, you know, and the thing is, I would be careful. We're in an age where information is just, it's everywhere. Like you can't go a few feet without running into somebody who has a podcast about, about woodworking. Rubio Monocoat. It's a dining yeah, table. It's got to be Monocoat. No, it's got to be lacquer. Yeah, you shut I, up. Like, <laughs> I think you're actually you shut a, up. <laughs> I, I think he's actually Your mother a point. uses Rubio Monocoat. <laughs> I use a lamination I, machine. I kind of hate both of you right now. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit. Um, <laughs> I think you have to be careful not to get bogged down in the choices, the options. Like if you don't know what a mortise and tenon is, then you go and look it up and now you're confused about what way to make it. Um, try to just find a way and then uh, move forward. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, that's get a good point. In, I like, apologize for the mortise and tenon comment. But you got to get I'm actually being serious at this point. That's a really good point. Pulling myself out of what I know about woodworking and just going to Google and Googling mortise and tenon. Holy crap. Oh, it would be a nightmare. I apologize, audience, but what a shitstorm that is going to be. <laughs> Yeah. I just went explicit. Yes, I did. It, it's not it's explicit. A, that was on South Park. Uh, the S word yeah. is kind of debatable. All right. My bad. But yeah, don't get into that trap, you know, and I think you're doing, a, I think it's a great way to learn is to start building a project that matters. Uh, and everything you learn on that project is going to be that much more, I don't know, poignant. You make a mistake, it's going to hurt more. You have a success, you're going to celebrate it more. Um, so I think this, you're on the right track. Be careful with how much research you do. And uh, only take about 15% of our advice and about, you'll be fine. What about if we uh, suggest <laughs> starting with like a smaller table, like uh, like a shaker table? Basically yeah. the same thing. You know, you have your four aprons and four legs and a top. It's mm-hmm. a lot smaller. Yeah. Might be a little more approachable than a giant. Well, I don't know how big this table is going to be, but I'm assuming. Well, dining table, it's got to be at, at least, least a, six feet, right? At least yeah, a, a decent yeah. size. 36 by 60, probably, if not 72. Yeah. yeah. And that is one of the things where the sheer size of the parts can throw you off that you don't confront on a smaller table, like the, sh- the sheer size of that panel that you're making for the top or the length of your aprons yeah. suddenly can't cutting, can a, bring cutting in. a tenon on the end of a, <laughs> yeah. a six foot long apron or whatever. Yeah. yeah. That, that's a little different than a little like, you know, whatever, like what was it, like 18 inches on mm-hmm. a ticker table or something like that. Yeah. All right, so we just want to make sure you guys know our Instagram account. We actually are going to pay a little bit. Well, let's say we're going to use it for more than just goofy photoshops, which is kind of what we've done up to this point. Um, we plan on sharing some of our first table builds uh, so you guys can see what we were doing, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, however long it was, uh, some of our earliest table projects. And and go ahead and then rip them apart. It's fine. Uh, especially Shannon's. Definitely rip that apart. <laughs> well, it's probably with hand tools. My my earliest ones may not still be standing, so they've yeah. already been ripped apart. Uh, good stuff. All right. Well, hopefully that advice helps you out there, Greg. Uh, you guys know who else offers really good advice? Do you? Do you know? Um, well, Matt Matt told me that I do. Yeah, I was going to say it. Yeah. I didn't say Shannon does give good advice when he no no into it. <laughs> I'm I'm, t- I'm, uh, I'm talking about Rockler. Oh I yeah, rhymes with of course. <laughs> So, uh, Why are you being so, so convoluted about it? Obviously. Uh, I'm just trying to set up some drama, you know, having fun with it. Um, this is interesting. <laughs> I'll be honest. It wasn't until I received some of this ad copy that I realized that they had this. I think this is really cool. Um, so pay attention. Yo, if someone is starting out on a big project and needs a little bit of a help with the first steps, Rockler offers expert advice in their retail stores that I knew, but also on their website, which I didn't know. Really? 
Yeah, the support team can be reached via phone, email, or live chat. The team answers questions about Rockler products, but is also happy to provide woodworking advice and answer other woodworking questions. Now, you can find all that contact info at rockler.com slash expert dash advice. You can also go to rockler.com and uh, click expert advice at the top left corner. And so I was really surprised by that. I don't know why. I've, I think I've seen the whole expert advice thing and I've just never paid attention to it. Should we make that a segment on the show now where the guys ask the experts? And then we ask Rockler and have them give say, us I'm going to go there right now and ask them, <laughs> how do I build my first dining table? And see what they say. They'll just uh, send you a link to the show. Yeah, hopefully. I really kind of hope it's like an automated Stephen Hawking voice. <laughs> yes. back. That would be awesome. Yeah, that would be good. Uh, but anyway, I think this is a cool feature of the website, a very cool service they provide. And of course, you know, I've seen this all the time. I go into to Rockler to get something. There's always an employee talking with uh, a customer and they are there to give you advice, advice on finishing, advice on what, you know, tool or accessory you might need. Um, it's a very cool uh, extra service that you get there. So um, thank you for sponsoring the show, Rockler. Advice. Hey, shut up when I'm reading a sponsor thing, dude. Come on. <laughs> when are you going to learn? Uh, no, but seriously, Never. thank you, Never. Rockler, for sponsoring the show. I had to draw it out now. It's punishment. All right. Punishment. Let's get to our voice. <laughs> Who are you punishing? I'm punishing Shannon. <laughs> not, not the audience, Shannon. Uh, good stuff. Okay, so we do have a, what do we got? We got one voicemail and one email. And uh, what do you say we do that that voicemail? Oh, is that, who is that? Whose dog That's is that? Kenny! Kenny! In the laundry right. room, telling me to put stuff in the dryer. <laughs> washer's done. Are done! Washer's done! Washer's done! <laughs> All right. Mine just sings a song, not my dog, the washer. <laughs> That'd be cool. Okay. Uh, let's hear what Brian has to say. Hey, guys. This is Brian Graham from Missouri. I just have a couple of questions about my DeWalt DW735 planer. Lately, I've been having trouble with the planer not pulling the wood through. I've tried waxing the wings and bed and cleaning the rollers with mineral spirits. These fixes help for a bit, but eventually it stops pulling the wood through again. Any ideas on what might be causing this? I also wanted to ask how you guys set the wings on your planer to best eliminate snipe. I'm assuming at the point where the wing meets the bed, you set the wing flush but how do you set the outer edges of the wings? Do you keep the entire wing in the same plane as the bed, or do you tow up the outer edges of the wings? If you do tow them up, how much higher than the bed do you set them? I'd appreciate any advice you could provide. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks for that, Brian. Uh, Chen, you got some input on the, the planar roller thing. Yep. I had a DW735 for many, many years. Great tool. Always took good care of me, but you know, this was the, something that would happen a lot. And it was kind of a, an indicator, um, you know, and I would do the same thing. I would wax the bed. I would make sure the feed rollers were clear and it would kind of fix it for a while. And then it would stop pulling things through. Um, I have an expression that I throw around the hand tools go a lot. Sharp fixes everything. And <laughs> that's what's going on here. Your, your blades, they may not, you may think, man, I feel like I just replaced them, but did you really? Like, unless you wrote down the date, I don't know about you guys, but it's like, I, I just replaced it. And then you like, you find the receipt of when you bought the blade and I was like, holy crap, that was six months ago. Or (laughs) it was two months ago, but I ran an entire workbench worth of hard maple through the thing, 
you know? Yeah. A straight knife plane, I mean, that's that's a lot of force on hardwoods. And especially if you're doing a lot of work, like at, in one session, maybe you ran 100 board feet or 500 board, maybe not 500 board feet through in one session. through his lunchbox planer. <laughs> lunchbox planer, right? But, but think about it. Like how many people do all their milling for a project at the same time? Like you could spend an hour, an hour and a half sitting there planing, you know, moving lumber through the thing. That's going to heat up those blades. As the blades heat up, they dull fast. And while it may feel like it's sharp and it may still be cutting, it's taking more force to get the same cut. So the feed rollers really don't have that much grab. So you can wax the bed, you can clean the rollers and kind of decrease that coefficient of friction there. But in the end, it's still requiring more force to pull that board through because the blades are pushing back more because the blades are dull. So fortunately, the 735 has index blades and they're double-sided. So it may just be a matter of cracking open the lid, unplug it first, crack open the lid, (laughs) flip the blade around. And if you've never, obviously, if you've used that side before, you got to go buy a new blade, but you can go (laughs) to Rockler and buy those blades. That's right. Um, But here's the thing. When you flip it around to the sharp side, try it again. And you'll be like, oh, yeah, that was the answer. You know, it'll sound quieter. It'll feed through. The quality of the cut will look better. Just every single time this happened, it was a little little flashing light wake up call. Time to do something about the blades. Um, And you know, you can sharpen them, I suppose, but really, I think it's meant to be a disposable blade type thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether it's really worth it. I, last time I checked, I think they're like 50 bucks for new blades and they will last a while, but you'd be surprised how quickly a while just slips by and you don't realize it. And it, it's all, it's all about that sharpness. Okay. Good deal. Oh, and as far as setting the tables, um, you know, I've always heard about towing up the ends. I set them perfectly level. I have a, a, one of those fancy Veritas straight edges, like mm-hmm. a 36 inch straight edge. I bought it, I think when I still had a power joiner um, and I keep it around just for that. And I just put them perfectly level. I think the key is just, you don't want to just let the board go. Like you need to catch it. Um, you yeah. push it through, walk around to the outfeed side and I will always put a hand because the table where the table meets the planer, it is perfectly flush with the planer. I will put a hand like down on the board just outside the planer and kind of support it and catch with my other hand. And I just, I never had snipe issues with the 735. It was one of the things I was really happy with that is it was never really an issue for me. And mm-hmm. I kept them perfectly level. Individual I keep mine level two. Uh, mine are level two. What about you, Matt? I don't have them on mine. Oh, really? Yeah. You don't need them. I think they're just a waste of space. <laughs> That's well, awesome. I mean, if you are catching... You know, yeah, if you're there to, if you're there to grab it, you're there to catch. No, it's not really, you know, I do the same thing now with my 20 inch planer. <laughs> I put my, you know, I put a little bit of pressure down on the actual bed itself because the, the, the bed extends outside of the actual machine. My hand yeah. is nowhere near the machine. It's not in the machine. People I'm putting it down on the outside and you can catch it really easily. Yeah. Nice. That's interesting. Now, I've, I know a lot of people do say when you go to any article or any video about how to reduce snipe, one of the first things, and I've, regurgitated this myself is that you want to lift up on the board and you simulate that by towing up slightly on those outfeed tables. Um, I've tried that. And if it like, if it, I've just never seen it improve the situation and I know theoretically, I guess it's supposed to, but I've never seen it. So that's why I keep mine level. I, I see no need to, to, to tow them up. Right. I agree. Interesting stuff. All right. So we have another question here. 
I think, oh, that's Matt's. I shouldn't say anything. Matt, it's your turn to talk. Ah, I was making sure you're done. Sorry. Ah, ah, ah. All right, we got this question here from Andrew Parker. He asks, what tool, powered or not, would you never buy used, and what tool would you never buy an off-brand or from a big box store? Uh, okay, I'm going to say... <laughs> okay, so off-brand from a big box store, I'm going to say chisels because they're probably not going to be that great. Unless you, unless you really want some beater chisels, yeah, don't really waste your money on the $10 three-pack of Stanleys or whatever they are at Walmart. Uh, the Buck Brothers, maybe? That's what Home sure. Depot has, right? Like, they're, uh, they're low-end. Whatever. Buck, if, Buck. if a whole pack of them is 10 bucks, yeah. probably not going to be that great. <laughs> okay. Just, just saying. <laughs> is there any... For learning to use a grinder. Yeah. Oh, there you go. They burn so fast. Every, if you can every grind time without burning them, you're good to go on quality. You, do, you do one shop, and you're back to the grinder again. Yeah. I've been thinking about this on power tools. I honestly can't think of something in the power tool world that if you go and look at a used something, whatever it is, if it's in good condition, I can't think of anything that I would have this rule about like, Oh no, you never buy, you never buy a uh, drum sander used. It's like, no, that one of the greatest things about woodworking tools is if they're well-made and they're well taken care of the used market is a great place to save money and get good tools. So in power tools, I don't see it. Um, so how do you feel about hand tool stuff, Shannon? You said you had some perspective. Yeah. On this. I mean, this is, this could cause like a religious war um, in the hand tool world. <laughs> well, th- those are fun. Um, Let's do that. There's a little bit of a jihad inbound. There are camps of people that love the whole, because when you say used tool in the hand tool world, I substitute used with vintage, you know? Okay. Um, and, and I guess if, if we were looking at it as, you know, used tools, you know, if I were to go to eBay and find a used Lee Nielsen tool, I would not hesitate to buy that. And I think that's what you're saying, Mark, is, you know, if you go, if you research the buyer and you go to, you know, respectable places and they have like factory reconditioned stuff, I wouldn't hesitate to buy, you know, a DeWalt tool, a Grizzly tool, a Powermatic tool, you know, same way. Um, And if the tool itself, like a Lee Nielsen tool, you know, the provenance is good. And if, you know, if you can look at it and see there's no cracks in the, in the sole and things like that, I would buy a Lee Nielsen plane used, but that difference comes into play when you start changing used to vintage. And there's just so many people who have been bitten by buying vintage hand planes and vintage saws because they don't really know what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And they spend a lot of time restoring it and don't really know their destination. Like they don't know what it's supposed to work like. I find this more with saws than with hand planes because uh, a lot of people think hand sawing, it's, it's work, right? It, it should be hard to do. Well, not really. <laughs> a well-tuned handsaw is not hard to use. And I'm constantly telling people, you know, I can pretty much saw all day and not be out of breath. And that's not like, ooh, look at me, look how fit I am. It's just mm-hmm. because my saw is sharp and it's well-tuned and it's not overset and it doesn't have a bend in it. And I'm you know, using decent technique and the saw works pretty well. But so I usually, a lot of times I will say like a, a, a back saw, you know, a good joinery saw, I wouldn't want to buy that used. Um, I really don't want to go to the vintage market unless you have a lot of experience restoring saws and sharpening saws. But that's where the jihad comes in. Because there's a lot of people who suddenly go, you know, well, it's nice. You know, you can afford to go buy a bad axe or, or whatever, but you know what? There are so many makers of back saws now 
like it used to be Lee Nielsen was the place to go. Um, now they're like middle of the road as far as quality, which is just crazy to me. Yeah. But you've got guys like Florip Tools. They make a really good saw for a really affordable price. Um, Veritas makes really like stupidly affordable saws. Now I have a few issues with some Veritas saws, but they still work a hell of a lot better than a vintage back saw that mm-hmm. needs to be de-rusted and completely reshaped to the teeth and all that stuff. Um, hand planes, I would be more prone to buy on the vintage market, but there's still a fair amount of work there. The question still becomes, do you know where you're heading? Like, do you know what it's supposed to work like? And if you don't, you know, the hand plane, like if you're working with hand tools, a jack plane and a handsaw, that's like the most important tools in the entire shop. And if you don't have those working well, everything you do in the shop is going to be frustrating. So that's one of those things where I actually say you might not want to buy vintage. You might want to get a good one first. You know, or buy your last tool first idea. Yeah. Or home store brand too. I mean, like my first block yeah, plane. Fair. Good point. No, <clears throat> yeah, my first block plane plane. was uh, like a Buck Brothers and brought that thing home. Had no idea I'm supposed to sharpen it, you know? <laughs> and we're talking like early, early woodworking. Um, and I would try to use it and I'm like, well, this is stupid. Why does anyone even use this? And I put it on a shelf and probably didn't touch it for another couple of years until I learned about sharpening. Um, knowing how a tool is supposed to work is really important because then that's, that's how you identify when something is off, you know, when, when you need to either change the way you're using the tool or change how the tool is prepared. Uh, and you don't know that if you're new to it and you are buying immediately something that's used and kind of beat up, even if it's a good quality. You know, you don't, you don't really know how it's supposed to work. And, and I've seen this play out many times, um, a couple in-person classes that I've taught, times when I've been volunteering at the museum and I've brought some of my uh, premium tools with me. Um, and somebody will come up and like, oh man, I really struggle with dovetails. And it's like, okay, well, come here. And I'll hand them my saw. And just in like walking them through, they take a cut and they're like, holy crap. <laughs> that's what that's supposed to feel like. And it's like, yeah. surprise. <laughs> yeah. You know, when the, t- when the tool is tuned up, well, that's true. And, and, you know, even though Lee Nielsen and Veritas will say, we recommend that you hone the blade and all that. Let's be real. You can take a Lee Nielsen out of the box and be making shavings right away. Oh yeah. I recommend yeah. probably cleaning some of the gunk off of it first, but even <laughs> then, like they don't like pack their stuff in heavy amounts of oil and cosmoline, like a grizzly tool or something like that. I think I probably didn't sharpen my first, my first Veritas hand plane. I probably didn't sharpen it for like a month <laughs> right out of the box and it worked fine. Mm-hmm. You know, the back was flat. The blade was flat. I mean, let's be real sharp. As long as the back is flat and the bevel is consistent, it's sharp. You know, maybe it's not as razor sharp as 8,000 grit or whatever, but it cuts just fine. Um, so yeah, there's something to be said about that in the, in the hand tool world. Cool. All right. We've got a couple more email questions here. Actually, this is uh, from Patreon. Uh, Tommaso wrote in, he says, any shows you guys are planning on attending this year? I know Mark has a lot of work related travel, but no mention of any shows other than workbench con as if that's a real thing. <laughs> I kind of love that. That's pretty funny. Okay. So woodworking shows. We've, of course, you got the local woodworking shows that kind of travel um, around the country, at least on the right half of the country, we'll say. Right half. <laughs> they don't do anything on the left half yet. Um, still. Uh, let's really? see. So is it, this is they a, had a show in like Phoenix or something. They don't know. Not, I mean, they used to like oh, 15 really? years ago. It's been a while. Oh. 
I'm old. <clears throat> so we got, well, what do we have this year? It's IWF in Atlanta. Yep. Is, is a show that I may or may not be attending. I don't, I don't know for sure. Um, but because of all that other travel, I'm trying to avoid everything I'm doing travel wise is guild related. So I'm trying not to do anything else if I could avoid it. So for me, no, not really anything, but Matt, I'm sure you have obligations. Um, I will probably be at IWF, right? Uh, most likely I would assume so. Uh, probably okay. there with Triton at the Triton booth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will be at maker central as well. That's in the UK at the yeah. Triton booth. Um, I think that's all I have on the agenda so far of things for sure. You got anything going on, Shannon? I got a fair amount of travel for my day job, but none of it is shows. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's it's going to like highfalutin rich people's houses and photographing the projects we just did for them, which right. is cool. But that no, sounds fun. Uh, oh, what's yeah. the story with Fine Woodworking Live this year? Are you going to go? Uh, no, I'm, as, I'm not. I have no plans on going. I'm just wondering. I haven't it's heard. But it's sold out. April. Okay. April In 17th April. to the 19th. Oh, I should have researched this before the show. Anyway, that's always a good show, but uh, I will not be attending that either this year. Yeah. That's that, I really enjoyed that show. It would be kind of a shame. Is it still in the same place? Southridge. New York. Yeah. Massachusetts. Nice. Was it? It's a nice location. Yeah, New York, okay. Massachusetts, one of those states up there. It's all the Northeast. Who cares? I, I believe I'll be at Weekend with Wood again. I'm not, I probably should have prepared for this. Weekend with Wood is when? Weekend. I threw this question in unexpectedly. So <laughs> that's why we're not prepared for the answer. Uh, Maybe it's time for Rockler to throw their, their hat into the ring for, for conventions and shows. Yeah, Weekend with Wood is May 14th through 17th. Mm, okay. And then I, if uh, Woodsmith does their show again, I'm not, uh, they haven't announced dates. I will probably be at that as well. Wow, look at you. Yeah, I know. Te- teaching, all right? You got sessions at these things usually? Uh, yes. Weekend with Wood and then the Woodsmith weekend thing. Wait, hmm. what do they call it? Oh, man. Uh, Woodsmith Workshop, I believe. Is what well, that's that a, wasn't it? Wasn't last year the, the first one that they yes, did? Is, isn't it, it was. New? Okay. Yeah. It was pretty gotcha. good. It was a decent... Uh, uh, concept, I guess. Yeah. <clears throat> very, very hard from an instructor perspective, but I think it's really good from the attendee perspective because mm-hmm. they they cycle everybody through in like one group. You stuck with one group the whole weekend, and you went through every single class together. So there's a lot more camaraderie between oh, the, that that group of people. Interesting. What if you don't like somebody that's in your group and you're stuck with them the whole time? It's just like school again, right? You just suck it up and deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> you get them on the playground, you know. Yeah, you pass them a note that says, I hate you. <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong with that. All right, cool. So we got another question here from Robert Green. He says, uh, when would you use hide glue over something like type bond? Do you have recommendations of manufacturers? Do we need to break out the dark arts and alchemy sets to make this? Mine are lost with my tape measure, so I'm out of luck. Um, <laughs> my, my use of hide glue is pretty fairly boring. I, I use it as an alternative to type bond. Oddly enough, I do use type bonds, hide glue. Uh, they're liquid hide glue because it doesn't really require a whole lot. There's no mixing. It's just straight out of the bottle. I tend to use it for like something that people might use epoxy for. If you have a really long glue up, you want some more working time. Um, it's a little more user-friendly than epoxy with a uh, water cleanup. So I have used that in the past on more complex projects that, that I need. I just need a little bit more time and I don't feel like using like a type bond extend 
kind of product. So that that's it for me. But there are obviously other like legit uses why you might want to use hide glue. Um, what about you guys? Ever ever use it much? Should Pretty I much it? all I use. <laughs> Which kind of hide glue though? Liqu- liquid hide glue? Uh, well, both. But for the most part, yeah, I use old brown okay. uh, liquid hide glue. But I also have the stuff that you mix yourself. If I ever do hammer veneer work, I mix it myself because I like the I like a different consistency for it. Sure. Interesting. Isn't the old brown stuff that you still have to warm that up a little bit, right? It does. It, it flows better if you warm it up. It does. You don't have to, but okay. just in my experience, I find that it, it uh, lowers the viscosity a little and it's just a little bit easier to work with when you, little, you heat it, but a little thick and it's not sticky. Like it's, yeah. Tight bond. You're right. Does flow a little bit easier than old brown. So in modern, you know, this modern day with all these modern adhesives is, is there, I mean, what kind of disadvantages are we looking at if, if you're using hide glue? Are we really concerned about, you know, moisture causing the joint to come apart at some point in the future? Or is it more prone to failures? If someone just Having, is really a fan of it, can, can you just use it on everything? Yeah. I mean, one of the benefits of hide glue, they always say is that it is reversible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> having reversed a couple of hide glue joints, it's not nearly as reversible as you think it is. <laughs> the reversibility is a lie. <laughs> like, like when Mark was doing his steam bending and soaking for like 48 hours, you know, in <laughs> boiling water, I think yeah. that's what you have to do. <clears throat> I had a simple, um, edge joint, like no joinery, just long grain to long grain. Um, I had plenty of leverage. It was two boards glued at right angles to each other. So, you know, but again, long grain to long grain. Um, I soaked it in water. I used a freaking heat gun on the thing. It took like 45 (laughs) minutes of applying heat and brushing water directly onto that junction before with a pair of vice grips, I was able to get enough (laughs) leverage to pop this cherry board off the other cherry board. So yeah, reversibility, sure. But like nothing that you need to be like, oh my God, if it gets wet, it's going to fall apart. Not so much. Yeah. Put it this way. I know a lot of plywood that would delaminate before <laughs> this stuff would come apart. Actually, that's not saying much. I know a lot of domestically made plywood that would delaminate before yeah. the high glue comes apart. At least, oh, at least the, 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 the liquid stuff, because it's a little bit, it's a little bit thicker. It's a little bit more concentrated. Mm-hmm. You can reverse, like when I do hammer veneer work and I've got a really dilute mixture of high glue, like we're talking like a quarter the strength of the liquid stuff in the bottle, mm-hmm. um, you can reverse that pretty easily. So there's the difference. And that's actually why I, I do that with hammer veneering because I, I do want, first of all, more working time, but also the ability to go, crap, I screwed up and like yeah. lift up the veneer again. Because again, the veneer is really, really delicate and it bonds really strongly. You're just going to tear the veneer. Hmm. Very cool. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to confess something here. I think over the years, if we've talked about glue, I think almost universally, I've said bad things about polyurethane glue (laughs) and I'm going to, I'm changing my mind on this. Nope. Not allowed. I'm allowed. I'm allowed. Only if you debate yourself. (laughs) Let's go back and get those (laughs) clips, baby. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Just thinking of glue just reminded me of this. I've been using a lot more polyurethane glue. Um, I'll be honest. Type on is a sponsor of the wood whisperer. They don't make an epoxy. So when I'm looking for a long set glue, I'm like, all right, what are my options on a table here? Uh, you know what? Let me give this poly glue a try. It's something that I, I tried. I think it was Gorilla Glue um, was the first one that came to my attention. 
uh, early on. I tried it and I'm like, yeah, it foams up. It's kind of messy. I don't want the stuff on my fingers. And then everyone kind of poops all over poly glue just in general, like woodworkers. It might be the one thing most of us can agree on is that poly glue sucks. Well, <laughs> I've been using it a lot lately. Complex glue ups. If I've got a whole bunch of like, um, I don't know, like a dovetailed or box jointed case and I got a lot of joinery I'm concerned about. I don't want to use a water-based glue and I need a lot of working time. I've been using poly glue and it's pretty great. I mean, for, for these applications where I need extra working time, as long as you have a means to contain the foam, it's not like it's, it's not like um, the insulation spray foam that just like expands to a thousand times its size. You get a little bit of foam, you know, but you can also wipe the stuff away before it foams up. It's not that big of a deal. So yeah, I'm actually, I'm not going to say I love the stuff, but I'm going to say it's in my glue repertoire. I actually kind of like using it. Isn't that weird? A little bit. A little weird, huh? All right. That's my confession for the day. Is it, okay. Do you know, have you tried like other poly glues or just the type on stuff? That's the only one I've tried. I mean, I way, way long ago, I've tried Gorilla Glue, but I haven't used it since then. And type bond, I think yeah. one of the selling points that they say, but who knows, it might just be marketing materials, is that they have a fairly low like foaming rate. It doesn't foam up as much as some others might, but I don't know. I don't, I don't have ex- extensive experience with other brands. It's pretty much just the type on brand at this point. Do you still have to like wet the surface or was that all Mm-mm. hooey too? They, I don't know I if it's <laughs> Abram. you know, yeah. you had to wet, you had to wipe down the surface with water before Got you my wet the sponge. Yeah. I yeah. hear that. It's not on the back of the, bottle they don't say that you need to do it i'm guessing it gets enough moisture from the atmosphere and from the the wood itself and i've never had any issues and i have never uh wet one side and then use the glue so Hmm. so i don't know i I, it's it's intriguing to me the fact that i don't hate it you know it's just something that i immediately assumed would never be It's intriguing to all of us mark yes it is (laughs) it is an enigma what are you gonna do Uh, anyway, so I think that uh, does it for our show today. I want to remind you guys that the show is brought to you by Rockler. They're family owned since 1954. Rockler is your go-to source for high quality, innovative woodworking tools, finishing supplies, hardware, lumber, and expert advice. Whether you're building a simple bookshelf, a custom desk, or a new kitchen cabinet, Rockler has everything you need to make your next project a success. Visit rockler.com and use that code WOODTALK, all one word, WOODTALK, to receive free shipping on most orders over $39. Thank you once again, Rockler, for sponsoring the show. And Shannon, why don't you give them that sweet, delicious contact info? We'll get out of I'd here. I'd love to, Mark. Please send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can go to woodtalkshow.com. That's the, the website where everything lives. Um, hit us up on Instagram. We're also woodtalkshow there. Or you can send us a voicemail using your voice memo app on your phone. Uh, those voicemails need to be emailed to woodtalkshow at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Please talk to us. We'd love to hear. Please, we, please we'd talk. Like, to we'd us. like to think we have friends sometimes. Besides each other, good. right? No, you guys aren't friends. You guys are jerks. That's true. I hate you, <laughs> especially after this show. You're the worst. You You're the it's worst. So, it's so late. I want my evening bowl of cereal, and you guys are preventing me from doing that. It's early there. Oh yeah, it's only eight thirty. Never mind. I'm gonna go eat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time. Bye. See ya. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.